and welcome to the next episode of our Talking Tax segment. I'm Amy Jack, Head of National Tax at Smith & Williamson, and I'm talking with Adam West, one of our private client tax partners based in our Manchester office, and with Luke Brooks, a managing partner in our financial planning team who's based in London. And today we're talking about the tax year end, which is fast approaching on the 5th of April. And in particular, we're discussing all of the things that we can do ahead of the year end to put us in the best tax and financial position. We're recording this podcast from our homes today on Monday the 28th of February 2022. Please can I remind listeners that tax rates, rules and reliefs do change and they depend on individual circumstances. So we all know that many allowances are calculated and available for a particular tax year. So now seems like the perfect time to review your tax position and identify any potential tax savings before the 5th of April. Adam and Luke, it would be great to hear your views on uh, what you're talking to clients about at the moment and which areas are the most important ones to look at to identify those important tax savings. Thanks, Amy. Um, And hello, everyone. Uh, So I guess ultimately at this time of year, we're talking to our clients about the same sort of things that we do throughout the tax year. Um, The difference now is that we've got a, you know, we've got a deadline, we've got a a call to action. And I think so many of allowances that we use are, are use them or lose them. Uh, This really does often prompt some action. Adam, I'm going to kick off by thinking about the ISA allowance, um, which is probably the best known um, and best understood savings allowance, or certainly as far as I can see. I think most people recognise that ISAs provide tax-free returns. Um, The ISA allowance, the annual subscription limit, has increased a lot in recent years. It's now £20,000 per annum for anyone over the age of of 18. Also worth noting for those under the age of 40, you've got the ability to set up a a lifetime ISA and invest £4,000 of your total ISA allowance into it and secure tax relief of £1,000. The lifetime ISA limit itself is targeted at those looking to buy their first property or to save for retirement, whilst the the standard ISA allowance can be used for for any any purpose. It's worth saying that certainly when ISAs were launched and the limit was £7,000 per annum, not all of our clients actually thought they were worthwhile doing. I think we've come to realise that sort of saving into an ISA and leaving those funds to accumulate tax-free can build very substantial funds over the long term. Indeed, there are now a large number of ISA millionaires, so individuals that have used their allowance year by year, saved and invested um, efficiently, and have built sort of seven-figure pots that you wouldn't ever expect the taxman to be able to touch. Now, the ISA allowance is one of those use it or lose it allowances. So the 5th of April is very much a call to action if you haven't taken if you haven't taken use of the allowance already. One of the key decisions around ISAs is whether they should be used to invest in cash or to invest in stocks and shares. Um, I think this was probably a greater debate once upon a time than it is now. Uh, The efficiency of cash ISAs has been weakened by the introduction of a personal savings allowance, which I think Adam's planning to speak a bit later. Um, In the meantime, it's worth noting that sort of less than 5% of people actually pay tax on their cash savings. 
therefore we tend to think of the stocks and shares ISA allowance as the better use of the exemption, given that dividends within it are tax-free for life and capital gains achieved within the ISA uh, are also tax-free. I guess for for clients who are paying tax on their savings, it's worth mentioning that there are still some other tax-free options available out there. And the, the national savings premium bonds is probably the best known um, version of, of that. Uh, maximum investment of up to £50,000 per person with um, a monthly prize draw where any prizes that you receive are tax-free. Also worth mentioning junior ISA limits. Um, Again, we've seen increases in the annual subscription amounts here. Um, Now it's potential uh, to invest up to £9,000 per annum for children under the age of, of 18 years. Now, junior ISAs have proven to be extremely popular with our clients, um, partly because uh, they help avoid the parental settlement rules. They're the rules that stipulate that um, if you give money to your children and uh, that generates a a return of £100 per annum or more in terms of interest, that, that interest gets taxed on the parent. Uh, it doesn't apply to funds gifted by parents into a junior ISA. So, so worth bearing that in mind. I guess another comment to make around um, junior ISAs is that with the subscription limit of £9,000 per annum for 18 years plus investment growth, I think we're potentially looking at a scenario here where children might have access to very substantial amounts from age 18. So we're certainly talking to our clients about how much it's right and appropriate to put into junior ISAs for their for their children and the grandchildren. Is that something you've come across, Adam? Uh, absolutely, yeah, Luke. Yeah, it definitely is, yeah. Um, and I think it's a talking point uh, going forward to Luke. Um, particularly, as you say, that the, the pots are building up on a year-by-year basis. So, yeah, it's definitely stuff we're talking to our clients about as well, Luke. So, moving on from from ISAs, um, I guess probably onto the no, uh, the, the best known savings vehicle, um, but perhaps not the most fashionable, uh, the pension. Uh, the reality is that pensions are still an incredibly tax efficient way of saving, um, whereby tax relief is given at your highest marginal rate of income tax on the contributions that you make. Given that six out of seven people who are high rate taxpayers would um, be basic rate taxpayers in retirement, we, we think about pensions as a really strong tax deferral vehicle. And we talk to um, all of our clients in advance of the 5th of April to make sure that they're utilising their allowances. The maximum contribution is dictated by the lower of what's known as um, an individual's net relevant earnings. That's effectively their earned income, so from self-employment or employment. And the annual allowance, the the standard annual allowance at the moment is is £40,000 per annum. 
So for anyone with earned income below that amount, uh, crudely, they're restricted to investing 100% of their earnings into a pension and claiming tax relief on that amount. So someone earning, say, £20,000 per annum, they can pay £20,000 into their pension and claim tax relief at 20%, um, whereas someone earning more than £40,000 needs to think about the annual allowance. Before I walk you through that rule, um, it's also worth mentioning that there is a de minimis limit, um, so an amount that non-earners can and can save or have put into a pension uh, each year. That limit is £2,880 net, uh, £3,600 gross after the addition of £720 basic rate tax relief. Um, that's commonly used by our clients for non-earning spouses, uh, but increasingly for children and grandchildren. Thinking about my comment earlier around junior ISAs where access becomes available at 18, um, I've got a few more clients now who prefer the idea of a pension where the assets will be tied up until the child or grandchild hits their late 50s. In terms of the um, annual allowance itself, um, as I said, it's at £40,000. That's the standard limit. Um, once you're lucky enough to earn more than £240,000 per annum from all, uh, from all sources, the tapered annual allowance starts to bite. In short, what happens here is you lose £1 of your annual allowance for every £2 of income above £240,000 in a tax year. What that means is that your £40,000 limit will taper slowly down as you earn more, um, but not below another de minimis limit. So for anyone earning more than £312,000 gross, then a tapered annual allowance figure of £4,000 per annum will apply. I think what I'm finding amongst my client bank is more and more individuals impacted by the tapered annual allowance and it's worth mentioning that for those individuals that want to be able to invest more than the standard annual allowance or their own tapered annual allowance, we still have carry forward rules available to us. Um, in short, what they say is once you've made full use of your current year allowance, you can unlock and make good previously unused allowances from the previous three years. So in the current tax year, 2021-2022, we can look back as far as 2018-19 to establish whether there's un any unused allowances to take advantage of. A couple of caveats around that, though. Firstly, you must have had a pension plan in place uh, in the year that you're carrying forward. Uh, and also, you need to have the earnings in place to actually support the contribution that you're looking to make. So in theory, um, this tax year's allowance plus three years carried forward, an individual could make a contribution of up to £160,000, so four lots of £40,000, but they must be earning at least that 
amount this tax year in order to make a contribution of that size. Um, we do find um, some sort of strategic planning works well at this time of year. So if you've got four lots of 40,000 to use, but perhaps not the cash flow or the income to support it all, what you can do is make use of the current year allowance in full and then sort of go back and specifically target the 2018-19 allowance before it's lost. The reality is the rules around pensions are complex. This is one of the areas I'd encourage you to take advice on. I'm assuming, Adam, you see that amongst your client bank. Yeah, I, I think I, I was just going to add, Luke, and you, you nicely covered it off at the end, uh, that there are so many different things in play in terms of annual allowances, lifetime caps, restrictions for higher earners, that this is definitely an area where you can quickly fall foul of some uh, quite penal tax rates if you don't get the contributions and the figures correct. So absolutely, this is definitely an area where uh, you should take advice before contributions are made. So Adam, I think you're going to start thinking about um, tax bans now. Yeah. So, so what do we think about from a from a from a tax perspective at, at this time of year, or, or really kind of throughout the year, I suppose? And really, we, we're looking at kind of sharing assets and income uh, between spouses. So, you you touched on it before, Luke, uh, in terms of the personal savings allowance, and there's also a, a, a starting rate band of five thousand for for savings income, uh, subject to people's total income uh, and everyone also has an allowance of up to £2,000 for dividend income. So savings and dividend income falling within these, these bands are taxed at 0%. Uh, the personal savings allowance, which is 1000 per year for basic rate taxpayers and £500 per year for higher rate taxpayers. So spouses and civil partners should review that their holdings of assets and ensure that, that the tax uh, is being paid by the right person. Um, similarly, gifts to charity. So if you're a 40% tax rate payer or, or an additional rate taxpayer, you may be able to claim tax relief on gift aid donations you've made to charity. So similarly to, the, to what we've just been talking about, spouses should consider making that contribution if they've got the higher marginal tax rate, to, so it's more tax efficient. Um, you can also gift quoted shares or an interest in land to charity. Uh, this halt has the advantage of income tax relief being available on the market value of the assets, as well as dispo- the, uh, the disposal being exempt from capital gains tax. From a capital gains tax perspective, as gains are only ever taxed when the asset is sold, you do actually have some control over whether to pay it or not. So if you have unrealized gains, you may find it beneficial to sell enough out of the asset each year to use up your CGT annual exemption, which for 2021-22 is 12,300. So assets can also be transferred between spouses tax-free, which can help to use up both spouses' annual exemptions and capital losses. Also, crystallizing unrealized losses to offset against gains may also be an option. So you should review your asset portfolio and consider selling assets which are potentially standing at a loss or making a negligible value claim so to set off these losses against potential gains in the year. So that's spreading assets between spouses. Also, the, it's potentially tax beneficial to spread assets between spouses who have permanently separated. So if you have permanently separated from your spouse during the current tax year, 
you may want to consider dealing with transferring the assets prior to the 5th of April 2022. This is because assets can pass between separated spouses without capital gains tax in the year of permanent separation, whereas transfers taking place after this deadline may attract CGT. So that covers off capital gains tax. There are also a few use it and lose it reliefs or allowances from an inheritance tax perspective. Um, There's the annual exemption, uh, which is an amount of up to 3,000, which can be given away each tax year. And if unused in a year, that amount can be carried forward for one year and utilised in the following tax year. So much like the pension contributions that you can you can do four years, um, the annual exemption for inheritance tax purposes that can that can be done over for two years carry back. There are other gifts, so wedding gifts. You could give five thousand to your child, inheritance tax free. Uh, you can also give 2500 to your grandchildren, inheritance tax-free, and uh, 1000 to any other people, inheritance tax-free. Another inheritance tax relief uh, which should be considered uh, is gifts out of income. So if your income regularly exceeds your expenditure, you can give away the excess as an exempt gift. Uh, to gain this relief, the gifts must be part of a settled pattern of giving or there must be evidence of the intention to make these gifts. For this reason, it may be necessary to ensure that you have evidence demonstrating that the gifts have been made out of your post-tax income. It's one um, of those ones, Adam, where yeah. record-keeping record is absolutely key, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that that one in particular, given that the you know it's it's it could be fairly subjective, uh, depending on you know your, your annual levels of income. Um, so so that that's definitely one where it's very important to keep records, and that's what we'd advise our our clients on doing. I think probably back over to you, Luke, uh, on anything. Yeah, I was just going to make some comments around um, the sort of tax planning. This is this is probably the area of my job that I enjoy most, and certainly the bit that I think we do so well at at, at TS and W, Tilney Smith and Williamson. That sort of financial planners, um, accountants, and investment managers looking at clients' um, tax outcomes together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, Adam, this is a time of year that we'll sit down, we'll review a client portfolio. Have we used the annual capital gains tax exemption? If not, are there assets which we can switch in to use something? Um and sort of working with the investment guys to try and find investments that you can switch into without materially changing the outlook of a portfolio. It's probably easier to do with a fund or an exchange traded fund that it is a a single stock. Um, But yeah, not uncommon to to switch from you one US equity tracker into another to to bank that annual exemption. And you know, frankly, you do that across um, two spouses year in, year out can make a really material difference to the overall um, tax outcome. I guess also worth noting that we're seeing more and more clients being prepared to pay some capital gains tax now, um, you know, for fear of tax being higher in the future. So, you know, part of a conversation we're having with clients as we run up to, you know, tax year end budget, we've got this uh, constant chase of what what tax legislation might look like next. So definitely seeing some clients um, with a greater willingness to pick up a a tax bill 
um, now. And, you know, particularly topical on the 28th of February, given, you know, given what's happened in Ukraine over last week, you know, news like that's not great for markets. And I suspect that there'll be a few of our clients sitting on market losses right now that they might not have been uh, a month or two ago. Um, You mentioned this possibility of crystallizing losses. Adam, you know, we've got this opportunity pre 5th of April to look back at our clients to crystallize gains earlier in the year. Might it make sense to to purposefully trigger some losses ahead of 5th of April to, to tackle, you know, to tackle that type of thing? Um, so, yeah, lots of interesting planning opportunities there. Uh, not sure about you, Adam, but I've definitely seen more and more clients interested in this idea of giving assets to charity, as you said. Uh, given the tax incentives and, you know, I dare say if capital gains rates um, go up, possibly even more clients will be interested in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, Luke. I just touched on the, the, the current tax rates in terms of capital gains tax and, and, and people more willing to pay tax. And, and we, we, te- we, we tend to see that around kind of transactions. So, you, you know, you, you if, if you qualify for various re- Relief, you can pay a 10% tax on, on the first million of proceeds, uh, but then the kind of standard rate after that is 20%. You know, 20% is actually a, a fairly low tax rate. And as you said, Luke, there's a willingness to, to pay a 20% tax now with a fear of, you know, CGT potentially going up in the future. Um, it's highly unlikely to go down. So, we, we speak with clients regularly around paying 20% tax and, and there are also various elections uh, where, where you can accelerate tax um, charges and suffer uh, current tax rates. Um, so we spend a, a lot of time speaking with clients around, around future tax rates and I think we might come on to that a little bit later. Well, thanks. You've given us um, lots to think about so far. I think it's also worth pointing out that some people might benefit more than others potentially from some of your suggestions. I'm thinking in particular those people that fall within what some people call the 60% tax trap, um, which is, I suppose, if you earn over £100,000, then your personal allowance is tapered or gradually reduced until you get to somewhere just over £125,000. So between those levels of income, um, the combination of the 40% tax rate plus the reduction in personal allowance gives an effective tax rate of 60%, which is much higher than the, the highest rate of 45%. So I guess if you're in the position where tax planning can help reduce a bit of that that's the 60% rate, then it's more valuable to you. So um, I just wonder whether you agreed with that and, you know, what's likely to have the the biggest impact for the taxpayers in that sort of position? You're spot on, Amy. You're quite right. Um, I guess I spoke about the efficiency of pension contributions earlier. For anyone who's in that sort of 100 to 125,000 bracket, that um, that 60% tax trap can be unwound by paying a pension contribution. Ultimately, um, you know, usual rules in terms of contributions apply. And of course, if you're going to invest the money in a pension, you've got to be prepared to give up access to it until retirement. But um, certainly in my experience, that motivation to get a 60% tax kicker on contributions in, in, in that band of earnings has made it you know, that bit more attractive. Um, Adam, I guess the same applies to those charitable gifts that you were talking about earlier. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so it, the it would apply to to charitable gifts in the same way that it would apply to to, to pension contributions. So so if you're if you're in that bracket that Amy mentioned, then you know you you're looking to try and reduce the, reduce your your net income to to, to below a hundred thousand, such that you're still getting the benefit of your your personal allowance. So that you know pension contributions is a good one gifted is 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 a good one and they're both pretty easy to do you can transfer income generating assets between spouses and civil civil partners alternatively you know you can look to invest uh, in assets that generate capital growth rather than income um, so so there are a number of things that you can do um, and and clients are always open to, to having conversations around this because I, I think yeah, I, Luke you'll, you'll come across the same thing when when a client is potentially getting a bonus which you know mm-hmm. uh, you know a 20 grand bonus and they they already earn 100k and you tell them that you know all 20 grand is you know subject to tax at 60 percent um it, it you know it brings about good conversations and it and it's a real chance to talk to clients about the the, the wider assets and and spouses and family etc Yes, definitely. Probably worth mentioning some other um, sort of tax efficient vehicles that we have open to us for, you know, for, for our clients who are sort of, they've utilized their ISAs, they've utilized their pensions, they've done that sort of sensible distribution of income producing assets between spouses. Um, and those vehicles are Enterprise investment schemes, EISs, um, seed enterprise investment schemes, SEISs, and, and venture capital trusts, VCTs. These vehicles incentivize you from a tax point of view to invest in smaller companies. Um, instinctively, I think about them as being appropriate or potentially appropriate for higher risk taking clients or perhaps those who are willing to prepare, you know willing to take a higher degree of risk with some of their overall portfolio VCTs involve investing in a portfolio of smaller companies 30% income tax relief uh, on investments of up to 200,000 a year Theoretically, there's a £60,000 um, tax saving there, but you have to have paid the tax to make the saving. Um, there are tax-free dividends and gains available in these structures after five years. Uh, EISs are direct investments into a single company, um, so certainly higher risk than a, a VCT. 30% um, income tax rebate on that on investments of up to 2 million a year, um, although a million of that has to be in a, a knowledge intensive company. Um, once invested in the EIS would, would grow three of capital gains tax um, also. And for those clients who are starting to think about inheritance tax, um, EISs will receive a, a business relief exemption after a, a two year holding period. EISs, I guess, have been um, used historically in the run-up to tax years by people that want to defer capital gains that have been made on other investments. It was actually, um, it was actually very popular for a period of time. Uh, Adam, I think probably fair to say that it's been less popular given the, the threat of higher capital gains tax rates that we've spoken about already. 
Yeah, there's always the trade-off, Luke. You're right in terms of, you know, you, you'd pay potentially pay CGT at, at, at a later date at, at the prevailing rate at that point in time. So, you know, you, you may potentially be deferring again into into a higher rate of, of, of CGT. So, you know, yeah. we, we have to have those conversations. And, and, and again, I know you're probably going to go into CDIS, Luke, on, on any of these points that there are lots of conditions and subconditions which have to be met or not, not to be met in order to to qualify as an individual and as as a company as well um so this is an area like i mentioned on pensions uh, where you, you clients definitely need to take advice uh, to ensure they're not falling foul of, of various tax uh, rates or, or that more importantly they are actually going to obtain the tax relief that they, they think they're going to get no spot on adam absolutely right this is um a specialist area uh, a specialist area of taxation, a higher risk area of investment. So, yes, definitely one to, to seek advice in. But the tax incentives um, for those uh, that are willing to take some risk are certainly, you know, certainly there. So we've spoken a lot about optimising um, your position in the few weeks before the tax year end. Are there any key points that you would um, encourage everyone to think about at the start of the tax year, the next tax year? Yes, Always. What would they be? <laughs> well, I mean, for, for me, I, I I find it fascinating that at the end of every tax year, we we you know we run around and we talk to our clients about ICEs and pensions and equalising assets um, and you know drawing the right amount of money from your pension and all of that good stuff. The reality is that these reliefs and exemptions become available again on the sixth of April. Um, so you know, for me personally, I'm trying to encourage more and more clients to think about. Um, you know the sort of year in advance rather than the year in, year in arrears approach. It's not always possible. Pensions, for instance, um, if you're uncertain of your earned income position for the year, you've often got to you know defer and delay. Um, to some extent, that will be the same with um, you know VCTs, EISs, CDISs. If if tax saving is the motivation in making the uh, the investment. But for things like ISAs, where we know the allowance is £20,000, we know that the vast majority of our clients will take want to take advantage of it. Well, you know, cash flow permitting, it should really be an investment that's made on the 6th of April, so you get that extra year of, of growth. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about for 6th of April and beyond, more of the same, but ideally doing it sooner. Thanks, Luke. How about you, Adam? Any suggestions yeah. for the start of the tax year? Well, well, I think the the, the forthcoming tax year, we, we, one thing we do know that is going to happen from a tax perspective is that the health and social care levy. So the, the, that's the tax rate on dividends is going to be increasing by 1.25% from the 6th of April. So clients need to think about if you're going to pay yourself a dividend from your company, should you, you should think about the timing. Um, so a dividend that, that's paid or declared on the 5th of April, for example, would 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 be a, there'd be a tax saving there because you wouldn't be paying the 1.25%. Um, I should caveat that with the fact that uh, if you do bring that forward, dividend forward by a day, then that will fall into the current tax year and therefore you'd be paying the tax and, and reporting uh, the tax on the tax return a year earlier. So that needs to be, they need to be matched off. Uh, and there's also the, the, the company's position uh, as well to consider there. So that's definitely a conversation we've been having with clients 
uh, over the last few months and no doubt we'll have a few more over the next few weeks until uh, the 5th of April has passed. Um, so that's one thing from a tax perspective. And I, I think oh, I'll, I'll caveat this with what Luke said about, you know, the, the, what's happening over in Eastern Europe, but the tax rates are, have, have been pretty consistent uh, recently and the Chancellor prior to Christmas alluded to the fact that capital gains tax rates are probably going to stay the same for the term of this uh, government and likewise inheritance tax rates and reliefs are also likely to stay the same for the course of this government and what that means is it's a real good opportunity for clients to review their affairs uh, and look at their asset allocation and think about planning um, and what we've been speaking about in terms of uh, sharing assets between spouses, but also wider tax planning in terms of their inheritance tax planning uh, going forwards. So I think the following this following year uh, is a great opportunity for clients and people to think about the, the longer term planning. Um, and we can obviously assist with that. Great. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, Luke, for your insights, especially at such a busy time for you both. We will be back again soon with a new episode. If you do have feedback, questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at smithandwilliamson.com. Otherwise, please subscribe to our regular tax insights and articles via the links in the episode show notes. Thank you for listening. This SW The Pulse podcast is of a general nature and is not a substitute for professional advice. No responsibility can be accepted for the consequences of any action taken or refrained from as a result of what is said. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the presenter or of Smith & Williamson or any of its affiliates. No reproduction of this podcast may be made in whole or in part for professional or recreational purposes. No action should be taken based on this podcast and we accept no liability if we change your views on any of the subjects mentioned. Tax and government legislation that is prevailing at the time is subject to change without notice and depends on individual circumstances. Clients should always seek appropriate tax advice before making decisions.